0: You ever find yourself with what the Puritans called a holy discontent? You love the Lord, but you feel like you don't love him like you should. Let's talk about divine conditions for revival next. Revival. It's a season in the church's life where God visits in an unusual and profound ways. It doesn't always happen, and no, it's not a tent meeting on Thursday nights, something far greater. So what are the divine conditions for revival? Well, we begin this series by looking at how to get God's attention. After all, it is asking for God to visit us in unusual ways. Let's catch up with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules for today's broadcast of Truth for Today as we answer the question What are the divine conditions for revival?
1: What does it take to get God's attention? Let me just read you uh, a favorite verse of mine out of Isaiah. Uh, this is an example. Isaiah 57 says this in verse 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God's high But he stoops real low. And he stoops all the way down to a humble man, a contrite man. And he says in chapter 66, to this man will I look, to him who's of a humble and contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. There's a lot of things I thought of in the Bible. What does it take to get God's attention? Call upon me and I will be near. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. So calling on him brings him near. James says, draw nigh and I'll draw nigh to you. So drawing nigh seems to get him on the case. Weeping, mourning, begroaning your spiritual adultery called worldliness in James 4 gets his attention. Willing to get clean gets his attention. Many things... But uh, I've been drawn to uh, Second Chronicles, and I want you to go there. The classic, classic verse used to describe the Welsh Revival was this verse. I read a book on the Welsh Revival when I was 16 and never forgot the phenomenal movement of God in Wales, a revival that Mart Lloyd-Jones would refer to because it filled... English evangelicals for years. God sovereignly moved throughout Wales and did phenomenal things. And this was the verse that it was built upon. And I'll explain that later. Listen to Second Chronicles, the dedication of Solomon's temple. Verse 11, when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace, And had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord. And in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up a heaven so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land... Or send a plague among my people. You would have to read Deuteronomy twenty-eight, twenty-nine, 29. And the Palestinian covenant. He said, if you disobey me, I'm going to use beast, animal, famine, plague, and siege to chasten you. The Palestinian land terms for Israel. You keep the land covenant or I'm going to bring everything I've got against you. And so he's saying... If this happens to you as a nation, at this temple, I want you to do four things. And I'll do three things. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, one. And pray, two. Seek my face, three. And turn from their wicked ways, four conditions, four conditions, that bring three responses. Watch what he will do. Then will I hear from heaven. Two, I will forgive their sin. Three, I will heal their land. Do we need such intervention? Are we willing to meet the conditions? Now, let me say something about this verse. Verse. Walt Kaiser does a marvelous introduction of the book of Chronicles. And he says this verse right here is the key to the rest of the book. And it's lived out among five kings. And that's who we're going to be looking at. Five kings did this in times of national calamity and divine judgment. And the principle of humbling yourself before God is seen in chapters 11 and 12... Under, and the revival came under Rehoboam. We'll look at it. Not tonight. Next message. Second principle, seek my face, is lived out in Chronicles 14 through 16 under Asa. They sought God's face, and he answered them. The praying for God's help was in chapter 17 through 20 under Jehoshaphat. Then, Turn from your wicked ways happen in 2 Chronicles 29 to 32 under Hezekiah. Humble yourselves. It comes to full uh, scale here all the way around. Humble yourselves and a return to the Word of God, chapters 34 and 35 under King Josiah. So that he says the 15 chapters of the core of the book describe this principle that when this verse was practiced by the kings of Israel, when they did what Solomon told them and God told them at the temple dedication, it shows the divine response, how God moved into the land, got rid of the idols, restored them, delivered them from their enemies, and did supernatural things because their kings led them to practice 7.14. Let's talk about some things. What is revival? What is revival? I grew up on the concept, revival was a two-week meeting. Uh, The longest, I think, I was ever in a, I mean, you went to church every night. I believe that was 10 weeks, Hazel. We were in revival one time, 10 weeks. We went to church every night. Uh, And our meetings ran from uh, 7 to 11.30. And my dad was an iron worker, tried that every day for 13 weeks. I always say God gave blacks and Pentecostals different bodies. <laughs> Had to, to have so much church. I mean, we needed supernatural strength just to show up every night. And you got rebuked if you missed. Um, but you know what? It didn't always bring revival. We had a lot of great meetings, but it didn't necessarily bring revival. Because revival is deeper than meeting every night. You can meet every night, nothing happened. A biblical definition of revival, I believe, is 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Meet the conditions, and God responds. Evans Roberts The phenomenal young man of Wales that God used to be a spark plug, human instrument to bring the revival. Was 26 years of age when he was in college. And he left school and went to his home village of Longer to preach his first sermon. 17 17 people showed up to listen to the sermon. He had four points. Memorize these four points and you might become the next great leader of an awakening. Confess any known sin to God and put away any wrong done to others. That was his first point. Confess sin and get right with your brother. Two, put away any doubtful habits you're doing. Three, obey the Holy Spirit promptly. May obedience be immediate and not delayed. Finally, confess Christ in a public way. Quit hiding that you're a Christian. Go public. No one could have predicted what happened. After that sermon, that sermon swept through Wales and 100,000 people professed faith in Christ. One critical historian later wrote. He said it was not authentic. He said I discovered that twenty thousand of them weren't going to church five years later. Well, eighty thousand is not bad. Eighty thousand. No one could have predicted it. So we get definitions. Stephen Olford says revival is the sovereign act of God, in which He restores His own backsliding people. To repentance and faith. Revival is for the people of God. It's not getting people saved. It's getting the church right. It's something, it would be as though Christ examined the seven churches of Asia Minor and he said to us, you're lukewarm, you make me sick. And instead of us uh, uh, doing anything, it's all oh, big deal. No, We would call a month of fasting and praying and say, I repent, I seek your face, I'm sorry, I want you back. I need God. I can't keep going to church half-baked, half-boiled, and no power for God. Instead of I'm getting used to the temperature, and most of us have, we would repent We would return. He said that to seven churches. So we're talking on this to church saints right down here this day when the word of God has been excised out of much church life. When few people crack a Bible, they seldom know it. Prayer meetings have been abandoned. Preaching is pathetic. Power is as as worthless as last year's bird nest. They Don't have enough power to cast demon out of a penis. What is it? I'm just hoping I don't go to bed with the wrong woman. That's the hope we're most in. We're not expecting anything beyond. I just hope somebody doesn't get in bed with the wrong person. Well, you know what? When you start running for God, you leave some things way back there. You're always cautious, but you're pursuing something much greater than all these things around the cesspool of sin. Autry said revival is a reanimating of those who already possess life. It revives spiritual life, which is in a state of declension. Hosea called it this way. Break up your fallow ground. And fallow ground was ground that had been tilled. It was mellow from having been plowed and worked. It was suitable for growing an abundant harvest. But now it is hardened. It is overgrown with weeds. Vegetation is no longer there. It's only a place for weeds. And he says to Israel, break up the hardened soil of your heart. Break it up. Break it up. God used to bear fruit through you. God used to get glory through you. Break up your fallow ground that I may, that I may Plant my will and my word in you even more. J. Edwin Orr may have said it the best and the simplest. Specialist on revival. He said, it's Acts 3.19. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Times that he refreshes his church And it will go beyond, if he sees fit, even to regions, counties. You know, uh, we're not needing God just to do something here in Hercules. We need a regional move of God. We need God to move in the apostate, liberal, going to hell quick Bay Area. I don't want to move to Idaho. I don't want to move. I'm going to stay right in Corinth. First Corinth, now California. God, can he do it here? He can do it if he can find some people to meet his conditions. If we'll meet the conditions, God's got a people in the Bay Area he wants to save yet, and a people he wants to use. Uh, Why is revival needed? Let me tell you some things. Habakkuk said, oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. When we talk about revival... We're supposing that things are not as they could be, that all is not well with the church. I have a limited church experience. For 35 years, I've been in this place. But uh, when I go visit churches, and Pastor Rollins has often told me, If I have a discouraging day about this church, he says, Oh, let me give you the name of 200 churches I've visited. See if Valley won't look good to you. When you get out and you see what's going on and uh, more church fights than prayer meetings. More disunity, more grumbling, more this. Uh, no one. I, every time I get on evangelism, he tells me, "I've seen more people saved in this ministry than any place I've ever been in my life." And you're still you still harp on evangelism. Think, ain't you get enough? No, I can't. We've got to be intentional in getting the gospel out. I want us to do all we can. I think of the perils of Second Timothy: people not loving their parents all the perils that he's told the young man of God that would come on them. So I'm not all depressed about us. I'm just telling you, we need a sweep of the Spirit of God. Name me, name me from Crockett to Alameda how many Bible-teaching, thriving churches you know of. For over 300,000 people, name them. I'm not talking about just churches. I'm not talking about just 50 people. That's wonderful. They're God's people. I know what 50 is. Start at 19. But where, where is the people saying, go there. God's working. The Word is powerful. The Spirit is working. Your soul will be refreshed. Oh, we have great need. Believe me, hear me well. We are not in competition with any church that's preaching Christ and loves his word. Lighthouses don't compete. We don't compete. Don't ever brag on this church so much to make some little pastor, some little church. God forbid we would ever do that. When I think, I just read that the Presbyterian Church USA just started ordaining homosexuals as pastors and elders. It's been going some time, the debate, but they just came out with a formal thing in Christianity today that, I mean, Presbyterians, do you know where Presbyterians came from? Came out of Scotland, England. Giants of the faith, Benjamin Warfield, Oswald T. Ellis, J. Grace Machin, Mylands. church history has been shaped and marked Louis Chafer, men that touched my life, were great Presbyterian Bible preachers and teachers. And now, for it to come to a denomination, it says, we ordain homosexuals. The denominations are most of them in a slide. They've given up the faith of Luther. They've given up what Wesley preached. They've retained the name Methodist, but they abandoned the message that set it ablaze throughout England. I'm not just whistling Dixie here. If you want documents, we'll get them for you. Uh, In a day of promiscuity, we, we seldom talk to any of our young people who haven't already engaged. We can't keep church kids out of sex and drugs. Matter of fact, the most likely kids in this church to give us fits are church kids. Kids growing up in the church, grew up with it all their life. You raised them, they were your kids, maybe my kids, whatever. And as I just had my uh, grandson's father tell me, in our church, the youth that give us all the problems are the kids that grew up in the church. The kids, we reach on the beach and get them to come out of divorced homes and out of drugs and out of sex and alcohol. They think Jesus is the greatest thing they've ever met. It's all of our church kids that don't know if they want him. Sin looks too good. The reason sin looks so good, they don't know him. They've grew up in the church, but they're unsaved. We baptized them. And they raise their hand in a junior altar call at nine years of age. And mom and dad's been telling them ever since you're saved. They're not saved. Just say it. They're not saved. When Jesus is not precious to you, I don't care what your age is, you're not saved. So the church is full of unsaved kids. With mom and dad's, that are deacons and servants, and your heart's broken that they're not. Well... What's the Christian responsibility uh, in revival? If it's a sovereign act of God, what can we do since we can't control sovereignty? Well, there's views on revival. One view is you can believe in the coming of Christ so much and believe things will get bad that let's don't do anything. He's coming anyway. We can't make it any difference. Just let's stand and wait. Come, Lord Jesus. And we're still standing on the mount outside of Jerusalem. He said, hey, stop your gazing. i got something for you to do. And 28 chapters of the book of Acts is what he wanted them to do. Stop gazing and start working and praying. Two, there's the Keswick movement idea, let go and let God. Kind of a passive, God just hit me, do it. You know, I want it. Just, I'm letting go and waiting no that doesn't seem to be it it seems to be follow those conditions God gives his people do it pray for it and hope that a sovereign God will intervene and do it for sure if he doesn't revive a nation he'll revive you you'll never waste time meeting the conditions um Some timeless principles. Let me defend 2 Chronicles 7.14. I happen to come from a camp that says, you don't read Israel's mail and make it your lifestyle. What are we doing in 2 Chronicles and thinking it has any application to today? Well, several things. He uses the phrase, if my people... uh, He could have said Israel. It was Israel. It was the temple. But... uh, Does God still have a people that are non-Jewish? Yeah, he does. Two, he used the broad term, who are called by my name. And it's very interesting that that term, when God calls something by his name, he owns it. And James said in in Acts 15, God is visiting the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. So we bear his name one way or the other. Um, I think of the thing, the new covenant. Did you know that the new covenant in the Bible was made with Israel, Jeremiah 31? There wasn't a church saint around when he gave that covenant. It was made with them. And yet you come to the New Testament, we share in aspects of that covenant, we're called ministers of a new covenant. We drink the cup, the blood of a new covenant. So though he made it back here, we are plugged into its benefits here. So we share in it some ways. And let me say something else. All the things written in former times, Romans 15, 3 and 4, they were written for our encouragement. Second... Timothy, all Scripture has a prophet to us. I see that these principles have never stopped. They they work in every generation. They work in every generation.
0: And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. The ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules.